0: So when we, come on, when uh, when we first come to practice, in in, in, in the beginning years of practice, certainly, uh, th- what we're often coming for is 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 uh, that we want a sense of relaxation. You know, we're we're feeling uh, some tension, some stress in our lives. We come to practice to meditation for a sense of relaxation. <coughs> very normal. Very understandable. Uh, we want less anxiety in our lives, we want to uh, maybe resolve some issues that we're aware of, that we feel difficult. So all this is um, very normal, very understandable and and very necessary. But as we continue to practice, uh, something becomes clear. You can come in, it's fine. Uh, something becomes clear that this uh, stress that we feel, this anxiety, this uh, any problem, any suffering is wrapped up uh, with the sense of self. That slowly, usually, be- begins to become clear. So that it's wrapped up with the self sense, and we begin to realize it's necessary to inquire into this self-sense that's at the center of suffering, to inquire into it and to address it, and that's uh, really fundamental to the path. Because our normal uh, state of consciousness uh, is, is actually very self-centered, so sometimes it's, it's quite extreme, and you, know, you see that extremes are sort of egomania, but often it's just sort of quietly uh, quietly running through and running our lives it's just we look at the world we look at our experience we relate to others uh, through a self-centeredness it's just, it's just there's no judgment in that it's just part of a normal human condition it might there might come a point, though, uh, in practice, or there might come a point in one's uh, unfoldment when one really asks uh, a kind of a question that might shake things up a little bit. And s- someone might ask, What would it be to live a life wh- where the self is actually not at the center of the stage? A life without self at the center of the drama. And something in the being is beginning to unfold, awaken in some way, and that question might come up, even though we don't actually know what that would even mean, or can't even imagine, what would it be to live a life that's not centred around me, that I'm not looking out from a centre of accumulation, from a centre of interest. And then we also, uh, if you've been around these circles, you also hear uh, this, the Buddha's teaching of uh, no self or selflessness or not self, and you sort of scratch your head and, and wonder what all that's about. Uh, and it is a very confusing, uh, or can be a very confusing, uh, teaching. But there's the message there that actually this sense of self that we have, that we take to be so real, may not be as true as real as we think it is and another kind of question inside do I want to live in an illusion is it okay for me to go through my life from birth however long it lasts to death and have this nagging suspicion that it was all centered around the self which may not even actually be real in the way that I thought it was would that be okay to live an illusion that way? Which is the common human condition. But would it be okay? So when the when the Buddha originally, uh, the sort of original uh, first, what's called the first turning of the wheel, his first teachings, he he actually steered quite clear of making. A lot of philosophical statements, it's like this or it's like that, or this is how life is, guys, and uh, or the self is like this or like that. He, he wasn't uh, really much uh, inclined to do that or inclined to make intellectual statements. So he, he veered away from that, and um, particularly around the nature of the self. And so there's a, there's a story that one day he was uh, sitting around. Uh, and um, this sort of wandering ascetic came up to him and, and argued, uh, started arguing with him and trying trying to make him admit that there is no self, right? There is no self. And the Buddha uh, the Buddha actually just sat silent and did not respond to him. So the guy asked a second time and a third time, and in the end got frustrated and just just left. Sort of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Buddhas, what you can. Do. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, then five minutes later, another wandering ascetic comes and and said, uh, "There is a self, right? There is a self." And similarly, Buddha didn't say anything. And uh, second time, Buddha didn't say anything. Third time, silence. And this guy "And Ananda, is the, the Buddha's cousin and tenant, is standing there and and uh, you know, what, what's up? Uh, what's up, boss? You you're just not uh, talkative today, or and." Uh, <laughs> and he, the Buddha said, if I, had, if I had agreed with the first person, uh, it would be a belief in nihilism, in the non-existence of the self. If I had uh, agreed with the second person, it would be reifying the self, making it into something real. And he said, the truth is actually, is actually neither of those. But he avoided making those kind of statements. The other thing that doesn't exist in, in the teachings of the Buddha is this uh, goal or emphasis to try and sort of eradicate the self, to dissolve it or explode it or um, merge it into something. Okay, so, uh, some religious traditions, that, that is the movement. In Buddhist teaching, it's actually not that. There's something different going on. And there's a different understanding. So we're not trying to get rid of the self. That's not the purpose here. That's not the goal. What then is the goal? Actually, to try and understand something about the self. To understand something about the self that frees our relationship with life, frees our relationship with things. Uh, in a way that the sense of self is not felt as a burden is not felt as a prison it's the understanding of frees so understanding and also understanding how to live in a way that the self is not a burden So how does this happen? How, how does this uh, move towards in the path? <clears throat> so one of the ways, actually, by, the, the, by cultivating loving-kindness, by cultivating compassion, by cultivating a heart of love that uh, the interest is flowing out, flowing out, and not always just inside. Now, of course, we need to take care of our self-loves, I think I touched on yesterday. But this... Uh, cultivating of kindness in the heart actually begins to uh, unburden the life from the self. <coughs> and similarly, actually, the cultivating cultivation of other things—calmness, uh, equanimity—all uh, uh, these lists that uh, you know very dry if you've read them. These Buddhist lists. All this is actually helping to unburden the life of, from the self. So this, the cultivation of the beautiful qualities of heart. There's also acting in the world, acting in the world in ways that uh, diminish the the constriction, the stranglehold of self. <coughs> so. Uh, two things I'd like to uh, generosity and service Uh, I'll actually go into that in in, in a little little bit so there's cultivating the beautiful qualities there's acting in ways that unburden that uh, lead to less of a burden of self and there's uh, the inward looking, practicing ways of seeing that are not uh, not in terms of self. So, so Buddha's encouraging us to look a certain way at experience. I'll, I'll go into this later on. Since we tend to look at things as me or mine, you or yours, we tend to look at the world in terms of self. And the Buddha's saying, rather than making statements about reality, can we actually Practice a way of changing that that way of looking. So, uh, as teachers and and, and and you know, in the Dharma, we talk a lot about mindfulness. I mean, I don't know how many times you know, just on this retreat, we've sort of emphasised it. And uh, someone was saying today, well, you can't have too much mindfulness, and that's true. You can't have too much mindfulness, but. It's not the whole deal. It's not the whole path. Mindfulness uh, has to be balanced with other qualities. So these other beautiful qualities of heart and these other actions, these other ways of being and relating in the world. So in a way we look in in practice but we also look out and act outwards and that's also important. So when we're here, you know, it could be here in situations like this, my practice, my mindfulness, that's what matters. Maybe the sense of connection with the people practicing together, maybe that matters as much. Maybe it's not just about my practice. Maybe viewing it in terms of my practice doesn't bear uh, the best kind of fruit. So, when we're here, are we also open to uh, everyone around us? Do we have a sense that uh, we're making this journey together? We're all making this journey together. Very different from just coming here, me, my mindfulness, my concentration, etc. And similarly, with the ways we, uh, as, I, as I went into today in the question-answer period, the way we're looking at the work when, we, when we're working could be we're viewing it as just an exercise in mindfulness, which is fine. You know, how mindful can I be of the sensations as I'm digging, as I'm painting or whatever? Fine. But maybe a bit bigger, how mindful can I be of all my patterns that are involved? The fear, the anxiety, the pressure that's felt. Boredom bigger mindfulness or even bigger can I relate to it as as service when mindfulness becomes less important at that point I'm just here doing service this, this, uh, one of the ways I mentioned was this uh, generosity, so in Pali in the language of the Buddha the word is dana, d-a-n-a and this is really a practice So, what we notice uh, is when we practice generosity, really take it on as a practice, the movement of generosity, of giving, is something that leads to a sense of lightness in the being. And we can really, all this is to be checked out, to be checked out. When we give, it brings a sense of lightness. Sometimes there's a sense of fear with it, but if we check it out, there's a sense of lightness that goes with it. Um, and openness goes with it openness of the mind and heart and you can see generosity is a movement of openness open. and it goes out. the Buddha said if you know if you knew as I do the power of generosity if you knew what I knew about the power of generosity you wouldn't let a single meal go by without giving something to someone obviously this guy knows something and uh, it's, it's a powerful statement and it's interesting when we explore this, uh, this, this uh, quality, this practice of generosity interesting, we can give money of course, we can give of what we have and some people that's, very, uh, that's a very natural way to give them, very, that's where they gravitate to and some people, uh, in a way, you can give money or time. And it's interesting just to note where one's balance is, where one uh, moves towards. So for me, I notice that it, when I have money, uh, it's, um, uh, relatively it's easier to give, but time is often something quite precious. Like I, I'm, I'm a bit more hoarding of my time. So just to see, where is one to explore this? Where's my balance? Am I free with time, but am I a bit hoarding of money? Is to investigate the whole area of generosity. And of course, we can give uh, kindness, we give kindness, we give attention as an act of kindness. All this in the realm of generosity. If we explore it, it's a curious thing. I mean, I I find, and I think uh, anyone who would really explore it deeply would find that there's a paradox here. If I give, I somehow paradoxically feel like I have enough, though I'm giving away. And if I habitually don't give, if I'm concerned with saving, somehow what gets saved, as well as the material stuff, is this gnawing, little gnawing fear or worry that there won't be enough, that it won't be okay. So our actions have what we call karmic. Imprints, karmic consequences. So there's a paradox. When I give, I actually feel there's enough. When I when I hold on, uh, I feel like there's not enough. The Buddha the Buddha made another very very radical statement. It might not be that oh, but that easy to understand at first, but so what we give away what we give away is ours. What we keep at home is not ours. What we give away is of value. What we keep at home is of no value. What we give away we don't need to protect. What we keep at home we need to protect. What we give away causes us worry. What we keep at home causes no worries. No. What we, what we give away causes no worry. What we keep at home causes worry. What we give away gives inexhaustible wealth. What we keep at home will be exhausted. What we keep at home leads to negativity. What we give away leads directly to enlightenment. It's the same, completely turning everything on its head. What's he talking about? When we give away, we're, uh, well, we don't have to worry about that thing anymore, but we're, we're investing in the beauty of that quality, of the openness, of the lightness, of the generosity, of the non-self-preoccupation. When we keep, when we hoard, when we don't give, all the problems that come in trying to protect that, and that encrusting of the, of the me-mind, we live lives that uh, we have families, we have people who are close to us, we have friends that are close to us, and it would be ridiculous to say that we don't have a responsibility to those that are near and dear to us, of course we do but uh, the, the movement of the Dharma the, mo- the spiritual movement is, can that be expanded? Are we, are we interested in expanding that uh, giving? So I remember years ago uh, when I lived in the States, and, and I would really uh, love to uh, give uh, well, actually give money to certain environmental organizations that would buy these um, you've probably heard of these programs they'd buy areas of rainforest or, or some endangered land. And it would often be, you know, in the middle of some country, you know on the other side of the world and I would know that I first of all that it was anonymous no one would ever know that I gave it and second of all that I would never see that piece of land I would never see those trees I would never see the beauty there and why there was something about doing that knowing um, knowing that I would never enjoy it in in that sort of direct way I would never get any payback from it something about it that um, expanded the constricted sense of self It it was almost as if the sense of self expanded to include that rainforest, instead of just me, mine, stopping right here. In a little while, it was, uh, I can't remember, six months ago, a group of Dharma people, uh, Dharma friends and and I went up to uh, the highlands of Scotland, and we had a a one-week work retreat there, uh, planting trees. Reforesting uh, the whole of Scotland apparently was one huge forest is you now completely devastated. We were working on re- reforesting and talking to some of the people involved. It was ac- it's actually a three hundred year project. So the, the saplings that we were planting, we would have no uh, we wouldn't even know how whether they survived or not. And again, it was completely anonymous. It's this sense of giving to something that I can't. Immediately relate my sense of self to and there's something that does uh, indirectly to the to the very sense of self so there's generosity uh, and there's service of course, and we're all you know just by virtue of being here on work retreat you're you're involved in service and again with sometimes with with practice the the attitude is my you know my practice, my mindfulness, how's my mind doing? if we're involved in service work from the perspective of service, how I feel, how clear my mind is actually completely secondary, how I feel is not important, and that not being important does something to the sense of self does does it loosens the sense of self and there's giving through service, and there's the non preoccupation with how. My mindfulness is doing my quality of mind, etc. So a couple of people have touched uh, in, in in interviews on actually uh, what is right livelihood and what, what would it be to to uh, to move maybe for a period into a life of service or or, or exploring that option and that is often a movement out of the mainstream so the mainstream culture is about me, my getting and everything's uh, set up that way but to to say I'll have less for a while and I'll just explore this it doesn't fit in and there may be the voices of fear with that and there may be the voices of fear from family and friends etc but what are we investing in? sometimes we practice generosity and service and actually coming, you know, there's a bit of motivation of fear involved in it, there's a bit of uh, uh, fear of what people will think of us I hope they think I'm kind or we don't want to upset people or we want them to praise us or approve of us Uh, or we feel unworthy and just our existence is unworthy and that we have to give to feel a sense of worthiness so just to notice when that, that kind of level of fear creeps in and it's okay, it doesn't mean not to give, but the motivations can purify over time. So, actually, the movement in practice is not from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. It's not, it's not actually doing that. So some, if other-centeredness is also a bit off-balance... And often, if we're completely other-centered, it's, it, it is often driven by some uh, level of fear or something like that. It's rather a movement from self-centeredness to, I don't know what you would say, openness, or awareness of interconnection, interconne- or even interpenetration, awareness of interpenetration. It's the movement from prison of self to openness. Can we even just... Hearing that, can can we actually get a sense, just maybe even a dim sense of the freedom, the possibility of freedom there? So how are we looking at our lives? Uh, Another thing I I used to quite enjoy doing, when I uh, uh, can just take something that we usually relate to as me or, as, as mine so sitting in your house or your apartment you just sit on the sofa, no big meditation deal or anything and just sit there, quiet and just look at your possessions and just, just, just sit and look and if, you, if you just stay steady with that uh, without any pressure what can happen is they begin to look the sense of mind just goes they begin to look like they're not mine it's just stuff You can look at your sofa, your table, your TV, your record collection, your house. Uh, You can even just stare at your hand for long enough and it begins to get a sense of, actually it's not really mine. It just comes through the presence of of awareness there. You can even look look at your lover like that, look at your child like that. That doesn't mean taking away the care at all but just have a sense yes, at one level things are mine at another level they're not mine and it's just this veil we put over our lives seeing through me and mine and if you do do that if you do experiment and just look at something uh, to feel the freedom there I mean why I used to enjoy doing it was you beg- I began to feel like ah, oh, what a relief <laughs> all this stuff, it's not mine <laughs> don't have to don't have to be so bothered with it i'm so, so encumbered by it um, but that feeling of the freedom and appreciating the freedom and the relief that's an important part of of uh, letting this understanding allowing the understanding to go deep because typically if we were addicted to looking at things in terms of me and mine and self and to, to even suggest letting go of that would be like. Hmm? begin to, to see oh actually this is quite nice it's, it's, it's lovely to unburden oneself that way and that doesn't mean absolving myself of responsibility to feel the freedom of not fully believing in I have or mine So, with self, with, the, with this prison of self, um, what's often really felt uh, painfully is the kind of self views with which we imprison ourselves. So, we uh, crystallize, we solidify uh, certain self views about ourselves, and sometimes they run right through our life. And for many people, it goes from sometime in their childhood, uh, maybe even before. Uh, right through until the day they die, and these the self views that have become uh, like a like a, uh, a cage uh, are not are not broken through, are not challenged, and the whole life is imprisoned that way. So can we see differently? Can we look at situations differently that really begins to challenge those kind of self views? Um. I remember years ago uh, working with a therapist, and um, she was one of these very sort of—I uh, think she had a black belt in—I in <laughs> don't know what—very sort of directing, uh, quite aggressive. And uh, uh, I was very young at the time, so it's a, this all this aggression about you know getting to the bottom of my uh, problems was 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 quite scary actually, and. Um, She would, she would actually crystallize, and together we would crystallize self-views about me. This is me, and this is my problem. It's because such and such happened in the past. And all this pain around self-view and the need to break out of how I thought I was. And not seeing that uh, it all arose out of conditions, including how I was in that interaction, that there was so much pressure coming and so much uh, leading so much fear that it actually uh, led to me feeling a certain way, me perceiving a certain way, me acting a certain way uh, and then that was taken as a view of who I am completely not considering, completely oblivious of all the conditions present and past that, that lead to a behavior or lead to a pattern of thinking so we tend to view in terms of self, in terms of personality and not in terms of let me look a little wider what are the conditions uh, that are that are giving rise to this behaviour one way of looking is is misery just misery there's no other word for it and another way of looking brings space brings freedom brings lightness similarly with our mind state you know um Depre- depressed mind state, and not understanding, for example, and not understanding where that's coming from. So sometimes, just the, the fact of physical energy is is has an effect on on, uh, for instance, if we're if, uh, if we're tired physically, or if we just got out of bed mornings or whatever. There's a, a low physical energy, and the mind follows, mirrors, is, is not supported enough by the physical energy, and so it sinks and instead of just seeing the relationship of mind and mind state uh, with for instance physical energy time of day etc we make a conclusion I am depressed I am a failure at life or whatever it is just. can we look a bit bigger and see the connections Say, I am an angry person I am a depressed person I am this, I am that this is my problem. Me, my, 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 my. It's so tight and so wrapped. Can we really look into what the Buddha called dependent arising? The way things are, the way things manifest, arises dependent on many conditions. And similarly, and a couple of people have uh, touched on this. Uh, it's almost like the self gets into this way of believing that everything is dependent on it. Everything is dependent on me. And someone was saying they realized they were doing a job around the house that uh, was actually a job that would probably go on for months, if not years. And they were just one, one little piece of this. It all didn't depend on them. And that sense began to unburden the pressure of the situation. It was felt as a pressure. It's just, it's okay. It doesn't all depend on self. We're similarly sitting here, you know, if I if I relate to the Dharma talk like, well, boy, now I have to really entertain these people for an hour or something. <laughs> that would be complete misery. It doesn't we, we tend to view things in terms of self, an exaggerated place of self. And it's it's completely lopsided. there's looking out looking out at how we're living how we're being with other people and looking out at our life and there's looking in in terms of self if we look in if in meditation and in practice over time we we look inside we can ask actually where is this self? where is it? because when we look if we're just completely honest just completely with what's going on what do we find? There's body and body sensations. There's feelings and emotions and mind states and thoughts. There's nothing that doesn't change. The sense of self is something that doesn't change. It's just, I'm me, I was me yesterday, I will be me tomorrow. Uh, But when we look inside, there's actually nothing we, we find that doesn't change. There's nothing we can find that we can point to and say, that's the self. Even the body. You know, if I, I had, an accident, had to amputate my leg at the, uh, at the knee, or the, up here, I would still feel, well, that's me. And after a while I would have forgotten about what happened to, to the leg. So how, how much am I going to chop off before I still say me? You know, uh, There's nothing we can find, there's nothing we can point to and say that's the self. We can't find it. And yet, we spend our, our whole lives, or most of our lives, running around at the whim of the self, expending huge amounts of energy and resources and doing what it says. And, and yet, where is it? What is it? So to see this for ourselves in practice, actually, it's unfindable. That's one approach. To see that there's, we can't find it anywhere inside. No matter how long we look, no matter where we look, you, you won't find it. No one has ever found it. That's one approach. The other approach is actually to realize that we don't need, we actually don't need to see anything as self. I don't need to see my body as self. I don't need to see my thoughts as self. I don't need to see my emotions as self. Uh, I can sit here in meditation or or in my life and actually regard everything as not me not mine and still function still talk still interact still love still go to the toilet whatever uh, the the to add me mine is actually an added is a an, you know it's a it 's an e number it 's an added extra uh, we we actually can let go of that and and the world goes on, life goes on. Experience unfolds. We don't need to, it's something extra and in a way false. That actually includes awareness. So sometimes when one practices in this way, I may have heard spiritual teaching saying, you're not the body, you're not your thoughts, you're not... da And there's what's left is a sense of... I am awareness, I am the witness I am you know with capital letters, or you may hear teaching saying, You are awareness, your true nature is awareness, and Buddha Dharma doesn't actually stop there; it goes deeper and says you you don't even need to uh, to identify with awareness there's nothing anywhere that uh, needs to be identified with, and actually the Buddha says uh, nothing Nothing at all should be identified with as me or mine. Nothing at all. Including even what might be the most subtle aspect of our existence, our awareness. Just completely radical, uh, not holding on to anything. Nothing left for self to grab onto to, to build on. Can we bring this into, into our practice, into our life? Can we begin to see things See our experience as not self. So the breath comes in and it goes out and it comes in and it goes out. And it's just nature happening. It's the wind element, the air element coming in and coming out. It's not, if you just really with it and really just watch it, it's not me breathing, it's just breathing happening. Or the body sensations. Just be with your body sensations, just keep watching them can you see it's just happening it's not me not mine make that something that becomes a familiar way of looking we're so used to seeing in terms of me and mine can we actually make not me not mine as familiar so it's a practice and similarly with our thinking we're so identified with our thinking and the problems that the problems that that causes you know we're tyrannised by our thinking because of our identification with it. So judgments, you know, can we actually view that as not me, not mine? It's just there's a radio on in the background, and it's a, it's a very poor uh, station. <laughs> it's just saying all this stuff. Can we begin to see it as not me, not mine? It's it's really a practice, but very possible. if we begin to s- see through this self-identification you know, uh, sometimes you see through it suddenly, sometimes gradually and then this whole structure of self-judgment which most, most of humanity is prey to can actually be gone and really, really gone and I mean it, gone now, and, that, and that can happen suddenly like a huge chunk of this uh, structure of self-judgment just crumbles or it can happen gradually but it can go. Absolutely possible for everyone that it goes. And that doesn't mean that uh, it's replaced by aren't I fantastic? By an inflation of self. Actually what happens is we, we lose the uh, this, the whole seduction of flipping between those two poles. I'm, I'm worthless, I'm Fantastic! The whole seduction of of thinking and viewing life in terms of self and self self view, self measurement, self self anything. It just we we lost interest in that. It may seem like one one could feel like how on earth would that ever happen? You don't know what's going on here, but it's very possible. It's really, really a possibility. So the Buddha said we need to understand something about self that frees us. One of the things we need to understand is what is it that builds the self? The self is a construct. It, it's constructed. It's compounded. What is it that builds the sense of self? Grasping is, is, is one of the answers. When we uh, push something away, when we Hang on to something when we're um, involved with something that that thing is a big deal, then that builds a sense of self. Uh, if, if we're struggling, there's a um, you know, pain seems very intense in the body, or the mind seems very intense, or some situation uh, that thing has become a big deal, and on, on the resting on it being a big deal comes the sense of self the sense of self goes with grasping at something to see that the sense of self comes in proportion to how much we're struggling with something how much we're grasping with something to, to see that relationship it comes also with measuring and comparing how am I doing how's my practice going am I working well enough am I this am I that am I attractive enough am I this constant measuring and comparing is maybe the favorite activity of the self. But it builds the self. The self is built on measuring and comparing. What happens when we, uh, just through sometimes just being in the moment in a very natural way, without putting pressure on the moment, we let go of measuring and comparing. What happens to the sense of self? So to see these relationships, the relationship of grasping measuring and comparing with the sense of self to see it for ourselves there's actually a mutual dependence self is built on measuring, grasping, comparing and self builds, feeds measuring, comparing, grasping they're like that they they feed and support each other We see into self this way, really this is very this is quite deep now, but when we when we begin to see Oh, the sense of self is not something real or solid, it's completely dependent on this activity of measuring, of comparing, of grasping. It's not something real independent. What begins to happen is it, it we begin to recognise our non separateness as part of that. Our non separateness with life. The self is not separate, not how it feels to be separate. That realization of non-separateness liberates love, just naturally, organically. It has to liberate love. So all this uh, has everything to do with love. And because we're not so self-preoccupied, we're... we're, uh, treating others equally their happiness is as important as as my happiness which is not the usual way of going about things usually we're concerned with me and maybe a small one or two or three people around me what happens uh, the sense of that actually uh, your your well-being is as important as mine More than that, it actually, seeing through the self actually frees love from inhibition. <coughs> so, how often in life are we uh, actually afraid or, or we stop ourselves from expressing love? Stop ourselves from making that connection because of some kind of fear. Well, it's not me, or, or that's not kind of the kind of person I am, or what will they think? Will I be rejected? Uh, when we don't take self so solidly, so we're not so bound up in it, actually uh, frees up love from inhibition. And to go to go through life uh, binding our expression of love is, is really well, it's a, it's a kind of tragedy. But even more than that, I think that, I feel that Seeing through self in this way actually liberates self-expression. It frees the self-expression. Because, again, we're not concerned with what, uh, how much, what people will think, or will it be okay, will it measure up again. So the whole sense of creativity, of freedom to be able to say, do, create, artistic, whatever... Uh, is often bound by uh, an over exaggerated sense of self and a concern of what others think etc what would it be to have a sense of self that's free to express whatever is there free doesn't uh, is not so preoccupied with its self image So what happens in over the time in practice, and, and it, it may be that we don't actually have to wait that long, it's just something that we can begin to notice uh, for ourselves in our practice, in our lives, what happens when, when we let go, even a little bit, of the agenda of self. Because self does have an agenda. You walk into a room, into a situation, something happens, even without... Uh, being conscious of it, the question is: What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Is this going to be uh, bad for me? Is it going to be good? Am I going to get a, something I want or something I don't want? That question is running, uh, running through our lives like a, like a, a thread. that's every every situation, and we get up in the morning and it's: What do I? How will today be for me? Every we don't even realize the degree to which it's going going on what happens a question what happens to notice what happens when that agenda if if way of looking, pushing away what we don't like, fearing what we don't like trying to grab hold of trying to get what we like if that's let go of through practice, through, through spiritual practice what begins to happen is uh, the world begins to look different instead of looking at the world through me and my, actually the radiance and the mystery of things begins to reveal itself because we're not putting this film over. And it's the the radiance and the mystery of all things. And not just, I like this, I'll ignore everything else. I don't like that, that's what's important. All things begin to, uh, in a way, shine, speak to us of something else. In a way, it's like the peace of all things begins to be revealed sometimes just a little bit just get a sense of it a moment of it sometimes extremely deep if you're really letting go of that agenda of self and you know it's difficult sometimes our sense of life our sense of aliveness our sense of fulfillment and excitement is so uh, so bound up with the sense of self so bound up with a sense of choosing for myself. It's almost like we can't imagine uh, that letting go of that, letting go of the sense of self, letting go of the preoccupation, letting go of all this choice, would actually uh, uncover uh, something very fulfilling, very juicy, very beautiful. What is it that we need to understand about the self? That it's dependent on conditions, so it's not, as I said, that we're trying to get rid of the self, absorb it into something, dissolve it, etc. Sense of self comes and goes. It comes and goes, it gets, uh, uh, it might be there lightly, it might be there in a normal way, it might be there heavily, it might not be there at all sometimes. It comes and goes, it goes through its its cycles, dependent on conditions, dependent on conditions. And it's not that we're trying to stay in one state. Okay, the coming and going of self, actually, not a problem, not a problem. You can see, there can, there can be an understanding that Self can be there in this way, in that way, not there at all, in another way. It's all just the coming and going of the appearance of self. Not in any way a problem. We don't uh, take self so seriously, which is the we usually take self so seriously. We're beginning to take self much more lightly, and the more and more we take self lightly, the more and more we have freedom with this coming and going of self, the more and more we see through the so-called reality of self, then the more and more something else uh, becomes apparent, some other other truth in a way, the more and more uh, that begins to shine through the life, because we're not obscuring it. that light of truth begins to just shine more and more and and with it it brings brings, uh, the deepest freedom the deepest love